Hi, welcome to the Back to Biz School podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sier, and a very happy new year to all my listeners. Here's to a fruitful and rewarding 2024. New year, new guest. And this episode will feature the first half of my interview with Munira Ismail, who has a PhD in biomedical engineering and is currently pursuing her MBA at NUS. She's also a mother of two and an active committee member of Jamia Singapore, so you can imagine how much content we have to cover. So let's dive right in. Hi, this is Brian from the Back to Biz School podcast. Today, we have a very, very special guest, my Launch Your Transformation classmate, a PhD, a working mother, a committee member of Jamia Singapore, current NUS MBA candidate, Munira Ismail. Welcome. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me on your show. If you could give me another five more minutes, we can talk about all your accolades and all your achievements, but we don't want to bore the listeners too much. But tell us about yourself. Okay, so you're being uh, really nice by saying that. Uh, I'm uh, a biomedical engineer by training. Uh, Right now, I'm a research fellow at the Singapore Eye Research Institute. Uh, I did my PhD at NUS uh, in the Department of Biomedical Engineering. And my research topic was in uh, the development of heart valves. Then uh, I proceeded to do a postdoc in NTU uh, to develop venous valves. Uh, and then I went on to work in a startup where I developed a surgical stapler. Uh, and then um, my boss wanted me to come into uh, SERI, Singapore Eye Research Institute, to help him uh, spin off a startup. Okay, that's that's. There's a lot of content. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that I can ask you off the bat. But okay, let's start with eye research. So how, how do you get into eye research? So um, actually, I know nothing about eye research before coming here. Uh, because as I mentioned, my PhD was in uh, heart valves. Uh, and I specialize in biofluid dynamics, which means I studied the flow in the vicinity of the heart valves. So any flow, blood flow related uh, things, I was, I studied that basically. Uh, And the eye is very different from the heart. The eye has over 2 million structures and they are very tiny. And um, it's a very, very complicated organ. Um, And I have no, I I never imagined being in this research. But because uh, I had, uh, I have a friend who used to work with my boss, uh, Professor Leopold Schmidt-Terra, and he recommended me to join him. Actually, I had another offer from NUS, uh, from another prominent professor as well, who wanted me to run his startup. But I chose... uh, Prof. Leopold, because uh, my friend recommended him. That's how I, that's how I got in. I think you are very involved in the startup scene, right? It's uh, I think it's very vibrant uh, in Singapore. They say some some say that actually, the startup scene in Singapore is one of the best. Uh, the ecosystem, sorry, is one of the best in in Asia at least. So, do you agree? I wouldn't hundred percent agree with that. Uh, I think the government has done a good job trying to build the infrastructure, but we are not um, there yet, uh, especially for medtech, uh, because medtech um, it's very different from other uh, consumer devices. It's highly regulated field, so manufacturing plants need to be uh, ISO one three five five certified. 
uh, and we don't have that in Singapore uh, for many of the uh, industry, the medical device industry. Uh, so we actually need to venture out to China or to US uh, in order to manufacture the devices. And on top of that, um, also for software, it also needs to be regulated. So uh, we don't have a lot of companies that uh, support this. So in that sense, um, that's what's lacking. But um, other than that, like for funding, I think we do have quite a lot of funding to support startups uh, in Singapore. So I think that's one good thing that uh, what Singapore is doing. And it takes time to build the infrastructure. So I think Singapore is getting back there, but it's not there yet. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Well, very interesting. Yeah, I realize that it's... Yeah, I mean, we used to be... I mean, Singapore used to be a manufacturing hub, right? But uh, we obviously shifted away from that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm curious about how how it works. So the current startup that you're working for, uh, you design the prototypes and you do testing here, is it? And then you manufacture offshore. Is, is that how it works? Or? So uh, in the previous startup, uh, I developed like the early prototype. Um, actually not here in Singapore. We engage a manufacturer in Israel. Uh, and then, but we did the designing here. Uh, and we did the animal trial here as well. Unfortunately, that was the one and only uh, testing facility in Singapore, animal testing, and it shut down. My project was the last project before it shut down because um, COVID, um, you know, affected their business badly uh, mm-hmm. and they had to close that facility. Mm-hmm. So now trials have to be done, I think, in Offshore. a nearby region. Yeah, maybe Malaysia or Indonesia. And do you do you travel a lot? If that's the case, I mean, it feels like, you know, as much as Singapore wants to be a startup hub, it feels like there's a lot of stuff that's not available in Singapore. So do you actually travel a lot to 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 these testing facilities and, and all that? But design is still here, lah. Design is here, yes. So um, right now for my current project uh, at the Eye Center, because we are partners with the uh, with SNEC, uh, which is mm-hmm. part of SGH, so our mm-hmm. trials uh, we we actually have an animal facility here uh, in the basement of the academy building, uh, but um, and and we also partner with uh, Eye Center to do the human clinical trial. So that. Wow is what makes it a lot easier uh, in a mm. sense. Um, but uh, we have to bear in mind that the animal facility here is not uh, like certified. It's just for research purpose. Could you tell us more about medical, the medical tech industry and the landscape that, you know, f- for the past like five years? I guess, um, you know, you, yeah, you can't escape from AI also because um, the civil government is heavily investing in that uh, area, so if you're in academia, uh, you will know the uh, the research plan. And uh, if you, your research does not have AI in it, it's very difficult to get funding. So you you have to put in AI in your research in order to get funding. That's in academia. And then for medical technology itself, also companies, so many companies have uh, are also going to AI because it kind of streamlines their process. For our own technology that we're developing, we're using AI because it can help with uh, reducing the overall cost, especially for medical images. If you have someone to assess the image, you know, humans tend to make some mistakes. 
mistake. And AI too as well. But if you incorporate both, uh, it reduces your failure rate or your chance of missing. Uh, there's an anomaly in your image. So mm. yeah, so the, the AI might be able to detect that, but the humans might not. But again, we have to be very careful about how we use AI as well. It's about also how you train your AI uh, mm. the data sets that you use and with AI especially in uh, in like government institute we are very careful about the data that we use uh, because these are patients data and uh, mm. patient information is a very big part confidentiality is a big part of uh, uh, of security here in uh, like Singhal where we use where we want to get good AI algorithm we need to make sure that we train it with the proper data these data sets need to be de-identified and uh, most institutions do not want to share their data with you I'm no AI expert but at the same time if we had you know patient you know John Doe Jane Doe whatever the names and then if we could just change them to patient 1, 2, 3 but you know we still have their age their medical data and all that stuff wouldn't that be enough? Yeah, sure, that would be enough to... But then if uh, certain things that identify the patients, you know, like um, certain features, uh, like for example, we take like the eye, the eye image. Uh, I don't know, because they are very careful with all these images, so they, they just rather play it safe than uh, sharing the data with you. Yeah. I understand, I understand. Okay, okay. Maybe a small suggestion <laughs> to you <laughs> is to, you know, let... let, let Next time, have a small tick box when the patient, you know, before the patient goes to the clinic saying, I allow my eye to be used for uh, for research purposes, you know, that kind of thing. And then you're indemnified and then you are, you are clear from anything. Because it is for research, right, in the sense. And it is it's for the betterment of, of, of health and for the human society, right? So, I don't know. Yeah, but because uh, when we uh, take the images, yes, we do get consent from the patient that we are going to use your data and we're going to use it for research, but uh, we cannot use it for anything else, you see? But if, and if you want to get to use it for anything else, you need to get additional consent, yeah. And, and that, that, that will be troublesome, right? And That's very troublesome, yeah. I understand. So speaking of, so I mean, going back to the AI, right? I think now I know how the government sort of controls trends, right? I think that by oh, if it doesn't have AI, uh, you know, like real AI, not just you know the the AI for show, but real AI in, incorporated in your in your research projects or anything, then we're not going to fund it. And I think that's the best. That's how the government can control the the trend. I think that's that's very interesting. Something I learned today. So what do you, what would you say? Speaking of the medical tech industry, what would you say is a very common myth about the medical tech industry that you want to dispel to our listeners? I think med tech, especially the startup scene, is a myth that it's a very sexy area to go into, a very lucrative area. <laughs> yeah, so many people want to go into it, you know, but it is very, very, very difficult, very high failure rate because this is a highly regulated field. The runway for it is really long as compared to other devices, consumer devices or other tech uh, because of the regulation. So you have to get your uh, ISO certified, your uh, the FDA or the uh, regulatory body in all the different countries. So for each country that you want to go into, uh, they have their own body that will regulate the medical device and it takes a really long time for each country. 
typically to get your product to market, it's about 10 years. It's a very long time and it requires a lot of money. So it's not as sexy as you think it is. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, you know, I I was expecting something, you know, maybe a bit more positive. Like, oh, you know, (laughs) medical tech is great. Do join us. But like, no, it's not sexy. It's tough. The failure rate is high. Never ever (laughs) come in. Sounds sounds very bad. Okay. Let me uh, ask a second question. Uh, Tell us something positive about the medical (laughs) tech, tech industry. Well, it saves lives. So I think uh, for you to want to go in, the motive has to be positive. You know, like you, you want to go in because you want to help people. You don't go mm-hmm. in because you want to make lots of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, 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 and that's great, right? You, you, you only get the people who are passionate about it and not those uh, money, money grubbers that just want to have, make a quick buck or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but we, we do need people to fund us, so maybe people who want to make so, money. But... So, yeah, so only, only if you're a rich corporation, do join. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I think realistically so. I think, yeah, and given the high level of regulation and as what you say, an incredibly long runway compared to almost any other product, uh, yeah. it's you, you really need the funding, right? Yeah, come to think of it now, if I create a fun app and it goes viral the next day, that's it, there's, there's literally no... Uh, restrictions, right? I don't have to worry about FDA or NEA or, or any no, of those. No, not NEA. is the environment. Oh, NEA is the mosquito <laughs> one, right? I'm so sorry. Uh, is it? It's the... HSA. M- HSA, right, right. Yes. yes. The Health Science Authority for, for our non-Singaporean listeners over here. <laughs> so, okay. And, and you know, I, I can definitely sense the passion coming from you with regards to startups and medical tech startups. So, if you could spearhead a startup tomorrow, what would that business be? Well, uh, as I mentioned, I'm uh, trying to spin off the startup here at uh, Seri. Uh, so that will be something that I would uh, want to spin off as soon as possible. If you don't mind me interrupting, uh, could you explain what Seri is? Okay, Seri is uh, Singapore Eye Research Institute. It's the research arm of the Singapore National Eye Centre here at SGH. If I could spearhead a startup, it will be the startup that I want to spin off from uh, my lab here at uh, Singapore Eye Research Institute. Um, so our lab uh, department is the, it's called the Ocular Imaging Department. Uh, and the, the startup will be um, focusing on uh, imaging devices, uh, specifically the OCTs. So we have right now uh, two different devices that we are developing. Uh, one is an uh, automated uh, device and the other one is a, a higher level OCT device than what you're seeing in the market right now. Mm-mm-mm. So that's what you would do as a startup. How do patents work with regards to medical tech? So once you have a prototype and do you apply for patents before or after testing? Like, if I'm curious about this part. Okay, it's very different in a startup and in a institute like or, or university. So for a research institute and universities, they have very limited funding. So they want to see your product being developed at a stage where it's working and and that you are able to prove your hypothesis. Uh, then you can file an invention disclosure uh, and then they will assess it and do the patent search. Uh, then you probably get a provisional patent. 
uh, and one year later you get you can go into PCT filing. Mm-hmm. But for a startup, because they want to secure the idea as fast as possible so that other people are not able to uh, patent that idea. So even with an idea, you can patent, you can file a professional. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's like an IP race, right? Intellectual property race in a sense. Once you have sort of a, a rough idea, then you just... I'm sure. Correct. Then I'm sure there'll there'll be companies out there who are just filing patents left, right, center every every, every month or so. Yeah. So that's called patent strategy. So um, the, it's called picket fencing. So you file as many patents and then you like you know you fence so other people can't enter that area. Yeah. Mm, okay. 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 But I'm assuming for your startup or for whatever you're doing now, you already have the patent secured. Yeah, so we have uh, initial patents um, for both our devices. Uh, but as you develop, you will come up with uh, new ideas. Uh, so you will keep on filing the patents. And with filing patents, it's very, very expensive. So uh, for startups um, that are low on funds, they probably would not uh, patent so many patents. They will just patent the fundamentals. For richer startups, they can do that picket fencing strategy. If you could have one wish for your startup, apart from money, what, what would it be? A great team is very important, I think, for a startup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People that you know that you can work with um, even though you're going through a bad time. Mm-hmm. So having a great team, I think it's a blessing. Uh, mm-hmm. it, you can go so much further with that. Great teams are very hard to come by, which is why when I joined Terry, uh, I wanted to make sure that I, I joined the right people. Uh, it's through recommendation. Because I know I want to spin off a company and these will be the people that I'll be working with. And that was the first half of the interview. In the next episode, Munira elaborates her reasons for studying an MBA, the challenges and pains of a working mother, and her involvement in helping women level the playing field at work. This has been the Back to Biz School podcast. Bye for now.